wasted a year's worth of wages for perfume on Jesus' feet. I mean, just crazy stuff. The Pharisee who was not grateful did nothing. Truly grateful people sometimes do weird things and are weird people. And today I want to talk about a church that was weird, a very grateful church, and a generous church. But before we get too far, I want us to vote. How many of you want Mount Pulaski Christian Church to be a weird church? Okay, I'm with you. I, I agree with you. I want us to be weird. I don't want us to be normal. And please don't make any other comments about Anyway, today we're going to look at two churches uh, found in 2 Corinthians 8. Both churches are giving. One church is kind of normal. The other church is weird. And what makes them different from each other are their motivations for generosity. Many of you are giving people. You're generous. Operation Christmas Child, we always have a good turnout for that. Angel Tree, you know, giving to missionaries, many of you do. Some of you tithe and go beyond the tithe. But I want to go behind all that and ask, why? Look at your motives. Why do I do what I do? Uh, is it out of obligation, duty, guilt, fear, because it's expected? Maybe I'm hoping to get something back and God bless me. Do you give because of what others might think? A peer pressure? Because there's a need? You feel sorry for people? What is your motive? When you help others or you volunteer, is it out of a loving response to God's goodness? We're all a mixture of motives. A horse jockey was asked how he was able to win the Kentucky Derby. He said, well, down the back stretch, I whispered in my horse's ear this little poem. Roses are red, violets are blue, horses that lose end up in the glue. And that motivated that horse to win. Well, what motivates you? When you give to someone at Christmas, why do you do that? Why do you give to a missionary? What are the real reasons behind it? An ancient, the ancient Jews said there were different levels of giving, and they kind of put it at these different levels. The lowest were those who give grudgingly, reluctantly, with regret, and they really don't give much at all. Next are those who give less than they should, but they give graciously. Next are those who give what they should, but only after being asked. And then the next level are those who give before being asked, and so forth, different levels. Well, today we're going to look at two churches that exemplify two different levels or different motives. The Macedonians and the Corinthians. Both churches are rich, but in different ways. The Macedonians were actually poor economically and yet rich spiritually and rich in generosity and joy. The Corinthians were rich economically, but compared to the Macedonians, they were actually poor. It's, it's pretty clear that Paul considers them the poor of these two churches. When we see a poor family or go to a poor country, usually we feel sorry for them. But when you look at Paul's attitude, the church he feels far, sorry for is actually the rich church. Laodicea was probably the worst church in the New Testament, and they said, we're rich. We're fine. We don't need a thing. And Jesus said, no, you're poor. You're wretched. You're miserable. And it's a, pretty much a proven fact. Churches that have too much money actually have more problems. So Paul sees the attitude that the poor church has, and he wants the rich church to learn from the poor church. To put it in today's equivalence, it might be something like, we want the American church to learn some things from the African church, because we can learn some things, and of course, vice versa, too. Well, first of all, let's look at the weird church. Verse 1, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, 
They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and complete earnestness, and the love we have kindled in you, see that you excel in this grace of giving. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is a financial appeal letter. Paul has been collecting funds for the Jerusalem Christians and they were going through a famine and this is an appeal to raise money. And yes, so yes, financial appeal letters are actually in the Bible. However, this is a whole lot different than the appeal letters you get in the mail. This doesn't focus on the need, doesn't show pictures of starving children, which Paul certainly could have talked about that. This letter doesn't promise a miracle if they give. It doesn't promise a free book if they give or give you address labels if you give. It doesn't promise their name on a plaque or even a tax write-off. In fact, there's more theology than anything in this text. Now, what is the number one key to the Macedonians' amazing generosity? One word is repeated three times in the text, and actually in the original text, it's in there four times. But verse 1, it's right there. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God's given the Macedonian churches. Verse 6, he calls it an act of grace. Verse 7, excel in this grace of giving. So the answer is grace. And grace comes from God. So the generosity of the Macedonians was not of human origin. Only the grace of God in their hearts and minds can account for their generosity and this overflowing joy in light of their extreme poverty and their difficult circumstances. God put it in there. And because of the grace they'd received, they abounded in the grace of giving. The basis for giving is not what we can do for God, as if God needs anything from us. The basis for giving is what what God has already done for us in Christ. The Macedonians gave because they were already experiencing an overflowing joy from God. So giving is not a way of showing God how much we can do for Him, but a response of how much God has done for us. How can I not give to this kind of God? Grace, as most of you know, is undeserved favor, something we receive that we have not earned. The Macedonians saw generosity as an undeserved favor God had granted to them. Their generosity was not a duty. It was not an obligation. They called it a privilege. And for some, that's just not in their vocabulary or their thinking. That's weird. Generosity was was not a chore for them. It was grace-based. So the question I have Uh, For myself and for all of us, how can I know if I'm a Macedonian, you know, grace-based type of giver? How do you know if your primary motive is the grace of God living in you and flowing through you? Well, to help us, this text gives us some signs of grace-giving. And the first sign is overflowing joy. The grace of God filled the Macedonians and there was joy. And it was not because God had prospered them financially because he had not. They were struggling, but there was still this overflowing, overwhelming joy. They knew they were the children of a king. They knew they had security that no amount of money could ever bring. They knew they had eternal treasure. They knew what grace was about. See, there's a fundamental uh, association among joy and grace and gratitude. If you're joyful, it's probably because you are grateful for the grace that you've received. And if there's no desire to be generous, and if it's not a joyful generosity, if it's just out of duty, it may be that you have forgotten or you just don't understand what he has done for you, his grace. The Macedonians were thankful in spite of their poverty, and because of that, they were joyful. 
Now, what happens when you're filled with joy? When you're really joyous and really happy and you think giddy, what happens? Well, you tend to do weird things. Like last week, we talked about when you're dating and you know, this infatuation you have, you just, you just act weird and do some weird things. If you ever have overflowing joy, you're going to do some crazy things, like the church in the book of Acts. Churches and people with joy take more risk. In Acts, they went to, and they witnessed with reckless abandon. They told everybody. They didn't have these inhibitions that we tend to have. In joy, they worshiped with their whole being. In joy, they gave, and people sold property. And we would say, that's irrational. But that's what happens when grace grabs you. I think back to the churches I've served, and some of the most exciting, joyful Grace-filled times were when people stretched, were stretched financially and sacrificially and stepped out of faith, and it was a blast. It was fun. Here's another sign. Giving in spite of trials. The two, two things that the Macedonians had were a lot of joy, overflowing, Paul says, and a lot of poverty. It says extreme poverty. So here's the formula, and this is weird. Extreme poverty plus overwhelming joy equals rich generosity. Most of us don't do math like that. This is a weird church. But joyful giving, even in the midst of one's own difficulty, is a sign of God's grace at work in someone's life. Jesus said something that I'm not sure I believe. Now, I know he's right, because he's right about everything, but I'm not sure I, I, deep down, I really believe this. He said, blessed are the poor. Now, Matthew says poor in spirit. I kind of wonder if Matthew added in spirit to make it easier. But over in Luke, blessed are the poor. I'm not sure I believe that. I like pay raises. You do too. The Macedonians, according to Paul, were a rich church. Now, when you think rich church, what do you think? A lot of money. No, they were rich in generosity and joy, even though they were financially poor. Some of you have been overseas, and you've seen poor countries and poor families, but you've also noticed that they usually have as much joy, maybe even more, than we do. When I was in the Philippines, there was one difference I noticed between the Americans and Filipinos. We uh, American Christians decided we want to go and see what a Filipino mall looked like, and so we decided to go to the mall, but none of the Filipinos wanted to go. Why not? Why do you go to the mall if you don't have any money? They don't have anything. So they played basketball while we went to the mall. Who had more fun? Their worship, just full of joy. And I don't want to glorify poverty. The Bible doesn't do that. Poverty doesn't guarantee spirituality. You can be a greedy, selfish, poor person, okay? But it is clear in the Bible there are some spiritual disadvantages to having too much. In my lifetime, I have found that it is easier to risk when I have less. It's easy to tithe when you have a dollar. Giving 10 cents, no problem. But tithing on your salary, that's a little tougher, Last week, we talked about how it is harder to be thankful when you have so much, you know, even though wealth is a blessing. But please be aware that it is difficult, more difficult to be a rich church than a poor church. I had a wealthy woman once say to me, it's a curse to love God and be rich. Weird. Here's a third sign of God's grace. Paul says they urgently pleaded, in other words, they begged for the opportunity to sacrifice their meager possessions. He said entirely on their own, without being manipulated or coerced or, or promised a book or anything, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. The word privilege there is the word for grace, by the way. They were eager to give. That's another sign of grace giving. You know people like that, they just like to give. God's grace can bring that attitude. That's why it was such a joy for these Macedonians and not a duty. They truly understood it is better to give than to receive. Receiving's nice, 
but giving is so much better. There's one guy in a church uh, named Brian, and uh, he had a pretty good job, but he didn't flaunt it. You wouldn't know that he was rich or anything like that. Very devoted believer. He eventually became an elder at the church I served. And we went through a stewardship campaign, and we were doing some building uh, stuff. And we had a commitment come in for $100,000, and it was anonymous. I've never had a commitment like that come in any church I've been at. I didn't believe it. So I said to the elders, someone is just kidding. This is a sick joke. I was wrong. The one who gave it was that elder, and he was in the room when I said that it was a sick joke. He didn't say anything at the time. He didn't say anything for a week, for a month, for a year. He didn't say anything for about five years after I had left the church. And he called and said, Mark, you remember that gift? Yeah. It was real. And he was just the kind of guy, and he wasn't bragging or anything. He was just the kind of guy that he loved to give. He was eager. Verse 5, they did not do as we expected. Like that elder, didn't expect that. They did more, they gave beyond their ability, and that's another sign of a grace giver, giving beyond expectations. They gave beyond what most normal people would do. I read an article about a church in Brazil called Inheriting the Cracked Earth and made me think of the giving, giving beyond your ability. The earth is cracked in Paraiba State. The sun burns everything in this remote part of Brazil's northeast. Despite the many small farms, there is very little food. Most people eat once a day. The region is the poorest part of Brazil. But in the tiny town of Itaparanga, the church of 25 members is holding a fundraiser. They had some uh, important needs. A tithe for most of the church members is less than an American dime. The article tells about one of the church members named Maria, who had no cash income, no tithe to give. Her husband's unemployed. They have two children and rarely enough to eat. She decided to give her rooster which is the only thing that she owned as her tithe. We would say, you can't do that. You can't afford that. Don't do that. In fact, I've actually told people, quit giving so much. Believe it or not, preacher ever say that. Anyway, when asked about it, why she was giving a rooster, she said, God has given me so much more. Most of us say, that's dumb. To have my sister, my daughter, my mom, I say, you can't do that. That's dumb. You're giving beyond your ability to give. Oh. I guess that's what Paul commends in this text. Maybe I'm dumb. Maybe we don't get it. You see, God's value system is always topsy-turvy. Blessed are the poor? I don't know if I believe that. Blessed are the persecuted? Really? See, weird churches and weird believers believe those kind of things. They actually believe what Jesus said. Maybe we need to be weird. But it's only by God's grace. Only by God changing, transforming our hearts and our minds. That's the weird church, Macedonians. Amazing, amazing. The rest of the text is the normal church, and I want you to look for how Paul tries to motivate them. I'm not commanding you, although I think he'd like to, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. There's that grace again. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. 
Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in, their plen- in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. They're just not motivated like the Macedonians. And Paul uses different motives with them, and I call them lower motives. First of all, he tests them. I want to test the sincerity of your love. Is this love you claim real because talk's cheap? He compares them to Macedonians and their earnestness. Do you have that same passion? He uses Jesus' example on them and talks about grace there. He wants to get them to the grace level where Jesus was rich and became poor so we might be rich. He prods them. He says, now finish the work. Come on. Come on. You started well. You started okay. You were giving, but you've gotten lax. So come on. Finish it. Prods them. And then he appeals to their sense of fairness, their equality. Is it right for you to be living in luxury and ignoring these brother and sister years that are starving? You feel right about that? That's a motive, but it's a lower motive. So here's a chart of these two churches. The Macedonians, grace, joy, eager. They're giving out of their poverty beyond what they can afford. The Corinthians, it's a test, comparison, had to be prodded, appeal their sense of fairness, give according to their means. They're not going to give beyond what they can afford. See the difference? Now, who's the rich congregation? To Paul, hands down, Macedonians. Now, these other motives for the Corinthians, not evil. Paul uses them. They're still legitimate, but they're just not at the same level. So let me give you three or four implications of all this. Number one, we are all a mixed bag of motives. Although grace and joy and gratitude are the highest motives, most of us are not mature enough to be motivated only by these. I know I'm not. Am I Macedonian or Corinthian? I'd say, yeah, I'm a little bit of both. Yeah, I do give as an act of grace and worship, and I do give out of joy, and it is fun. But I also give because it's a duty, and it's commanded, and sometimes I even give out of fear. I would be afraid not to give. And these lower motives are not illegitimate. They are biblical. They're just not the highest motives. Number two, don't judge others, because we're all at different levels in our walk with Christ. Some are going to give with higher motives, some with lower motives, and the goal is just get to that next level. Satan's going to whisper in your ear, look at those others, they're not doing as they could or as they should, and you have to tell Satan to bug off because number one, everyone's at a different level, and number two, you don't know everybody's situation, and number three, our primary goal is changed hearts. Faith-raising, not fundraising, is what we're aiming for. It's possible to give huge amounts and still give with the wrong motives. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, you know, if I give everything I have away, if I give it all and have not love, if I give the only rooster I have, I have not love, it's nothing. So you may be generous, but still doesn't do any good. So don't judge. Don't judge. Number three, do examine yourself. One of the steps to healing in AA, and I think it's the fourth step, is we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So that's what I want you to do today. Many of you wrote out a check this morning. Why do you do that? In fact, I would want you to write down what your motives are. Why do I serve? 
Why do I teach Sunday school or work with the youth? Why am I here today? What, what are my motives? And the more you focus on Jesus and grace and gratitude, the more you'll get to this higher plane and there'll be more joy in your life. Make a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself and be honest. Instead of looking at the motives and questioning the motives of everyone else, just ask what's going on in you. And then number four, and this is the foundation of all grace giving, give yourself first to the Lord. The most important thing is not the Macedonians gave financially and gave beyond their ability, but they first of all gave themselves to the Lord and God was their first allegiance. It's not about dollars, it's about desires. It's not about checks, it's about your choices. He doesn't want your lip service, he wants your life. He wants you. So are you a Macedonian or Corinthian? You're probably both. And my prayer is that you'll just get to the next level, the next step, and your motives will be pure and higher. And eventually they'll just be full of joy and gratitude and grace, and we become eager to be generous. We want to, and it's just a joyful thing. One reason I like the way we do communion and offering here, we do back-to-back most of the time anyway, communion is a reminder of God's gift to us and how much he's given to us through his son. And then we turn right around, and we give back to him. It's our response to him. It's that give-give relationship. And financial is not the only way we give, of course, but this is the theological order, the way we do things on Sunday morning. He gives, and then we give in response. It's a give-give. So do it out of a joyful and grateful heart, because of grace. And even if you're poor, you will be rich and a little weird. Let's pray. Lord, how can we not thank you? How can we not be filled with joy for what you've done? I just pray you'll fill us with your grace and, and open our eyes and hearts and minds to this and fill us with the, your overwhelming joy and gratitude. And we know we can't have the right motive without your grace working in us and your spirit working in us. We also understand that uh, we have to open ourselves to you. And so I pray, Lord, every one of us will commit our devotion to you this morning. Thank you for communion. It reminds us of grace. And thank you for the privilege of giving. We pray this all in his name.